So you can all take that big, deep breath out. I am not preaching today. <laughs> but I do want to give our speaker a little bit of an introduction and a little bit of a commercial. So today we have Don Sanders from Harvester Christian Church representing the Merrill Institute, which, if you have not heard of this, it is a fantastic school that they put on. So if you're interested in ministry or in learning more about the Bible, about theology, um, if you just want to get plugged in a little bit deeper and go to that next level, this is the place to do it. And he's got a table set up in the commons and would love to talk to you after the service today. So now let's welcome Don as he comes to bring our message today. Good morning. It is my pleasure, my honor to be here. I feel so connected to Connection Christian Church, which is a great name. I feel connected to it. Uh, it has been great as part of Harvester Christian Church to watch your church grow over the years and expand and uh, grow up in its own ministry and things like that from being at the theater to now, you know, having your own specific place you call. It, it's just fantastic. I applaud you all for the hard work that you put in. Uh, I'm so connected to your staff. Uh, I've had, you know, Jeffrey in class at the Merrill. He didn't say he was a student, but he is. I mean, really, honestly, the best student we have of course. And then I had Erin in class at St. Louis Christian College, and I know Kirsten Fakes, she's my sister-in-law, and Brian is my brother-in-law, so it is, uh, it is great. Uh, great to be here. Open up your Bibles to 2 Peter chapter 1. We're going to be there in just a second, so turn them on, open them up, whatever you want to do there, however you, you've got that. It is, uh, it is great to, to be here. I, Jeffrey does talk about the idea of uh, the, the Maryland Institute of Ministry is one of the things I do, and I, I would love would to talk with you about it. If you have any ideas that you've ever thought, I mean, I would love to, to study the Bible in just a deep way. These are undergraduate level classes that we have, and uh, it's not Sunday school, it's not a group. You, you actually work and read and do some stuff like that, but if you've ever thought about that, I would love to talk with you about it. You can just see me at the table right afterwards. So open up to Second Peter chapter 1. Now, this is a great example of when your brother-in-law picks your sermon title for you. If you, look at the, uh, if you look at the sermon title, when I was talking to Brian, he was like, hey, would you come preach for us? And I was like, absolutely. He's like, so I've got an idea for a sermon. I was like, well, now I know why you scheduled this while you were on vacation. So it's just, just kind of a little provocative sermon title there. The idea about growing up in spiritual maturity. And I do want to talk a little bit about this today. And actually, it's an issue that has been around the church for probably as long as the church has been in existence. It's this, is that people come to Christ, and, and they're, they're baptized, they start off on this journey, and they're excited, and they go right into that, and, and everybody's excited, and then something happens, right? We, we never hear from that person again. They come, and they just disappear. We, we don't know what happened to them, or, or they, they stick around, but they, they never really get involved. They're just sort of on the periphery of the church, never really sort of get connected into it. Or someone stays in the church for years, for years, but they still, honestly, and I'm going to be just real honest today, they still sort of act like a spiritual baby. And I'm going to talk what I mean about that. I don't mean that in a derogatory term, but we're going to talk about what it means to be a spiritual infant or a spiritual adult today. And it leads to this really difficult issue that we have in the church. It's the idea that we are expected to grow in our faith. Right? We understand what it means to become a Christian, and we talk about you hear the gospel, you repent, you confess, and you're baptized, and that, that you're birthed as a baby Christian. But so many people just look at that and say, well, that's the end of my journey. 
Well, here's the truth that we need to, to deal with. It's this, is that striving for spiritual maturity is not an option in the Christian life. Striving for it is not an option. If the idea of becoming a Christian is you do it and you go, I don't have to check that off my list, I'm done, right? Got my fire insurance, as we'd say, uh, whatever, then I can just go on doing whatever I want. That's not what the Bible teaches us at all. And so today when we look at 2 Peter chapter 1, the Apostle Peter is going to give us three clues that help us understand this journey of spiritual faith that we have, this idea to spiritual maturity. Now, just a fair warning as we get into this, this is kind of a technical part of Scripture, and so we're going to dig down deep into it and look at it there. But we're also going to walk through this very carefully because Peter says some very important things that we need to understand. So get your pens out, get your your notes out, however you're going to take notes today, and let's look at this. So the first truth, the first truth that we see, 2 Peter chapter 1, starting in verses 5 through 7, is this, is that how can you grow? How does your faith grow? And he really tells us this, the first clue is this, is that you need to supplement your faith. How does your faith grow? You need to supplement it. 2 Peter chapter 1, let's start reading in verse 5, we'll read through verse 7. It says this, for this very reason, make every effort to supplement your faith. And I'm reading out of the English Standard Version, yours may be a little bit different. It says, for this very reason, make every effort to supplement your faith with virtue, and virtue with knowledge, and knowledge with self-control, and self-control with steadiness, and steadiness with godliness, and godliness with brother affection, brotherly affection, and brotherly affection with love. And look at what Peter says there. He says, make every effort. And this is the fundamental truth, the fundamental idea of spiritual maturity, is that you have an amazing gift at your disposal, but you have to make every effort to use it. Right? That's what we have to look at. It's like someone who wants to get into shape physically. And you know, I don't know that there's probably any person here who at some point in their life has not said, man, I really need to get in shape. Right? We've all said that. And we've all made vows and we've all made promises. And many of us have had unused gym memberships for years and, and all sorts of, or maybe, you know, like me, like bought a piece of exercise equipment off late night TV, right? And then you let it set in your garage and all sorts of stuff like that, right? And we've also seen, right, we've seen uh, TV shows where they take somebody who just really needs to, to get into shape and they provide them with all of these things. And you go and you're like, hey, we're going to give you a personal trainer, and we're going to give you a personal chef to make the exact uh, meals that you need, and we're going to have all this fully equipped gym that you need and everything else. But it really comes down to this, is that you can provide someone with all the tools and all the resources that they need to do that, but they have to make the effort to do it. They have to decide, this is something that I want to do. It really comes down to this person has to decide, I want to make this change. And the same is true of spiritual growth. You have to make an effort to do it. You have to take the purposeful, intentional steps to open yourself up to the Spirit. And that's what it really is. Now, don't get the idea that you can do something to make yourself grow. We're going to dispel that myth here in just a little bit. This is not a, hey, I'm going to do everything myself. But I want to explain how this works. Peter says here, he says, make every effort to supplement your faith, to supplement it. Now, the Bible makes it very clear that faith is the beginning of your journey of becoming a Christian. You cannot be a Christian, you cannot be a disciple of Christ, and honestly, you cannot grow in Christ without faith. 
But another way to think of this is that we have to supplement or fully equip the faith that we have. In other words, we have to feed our faith in order to make it grow, right? So you've got this faith inside of you, but you have to feed it to make it grow. It's not that you need something in addition to your faith. You don't need my faith plus something else. What you need to do is you need to feed the faith so it will grow, and it will grow so it won't shrivel up and die and eventually disappear. And so what Peter says is he says, supplement your faith. And if you look here, he gives this list of virtues. He talks about this idea of supplement it with with virtue and knowledge and self-control and steadiness and steadfastness and godliness and things like that. He gives us this list of virtues. Now, this list of virtues is not a linear, rigid projection Right? So he doesn't say, well, first I add this, and then I add this, and then I add this, and then I add this. He's just giving us this idea of these are the things that will help your faith grow. Virtue, and knowledge, and godliness, and self-control, and steadfastness, or in other words, perseverance. Those are all things that you feed yourself so that your faith will grow. These are things that you need to make every effort to add to your faith. Now, what does this mean? All right, let's get down to just very specifics. What does it mean that we need to make every effort to feed our faith? Well, if you think you can just jump in the baptistry over here, right, and jump out and do nothing else in addition to that, that you will have a very strong Christian faith and that it will remain strong for the rest of your life and that it will sustain you through difficult times and it will be the anchor that gets you through life, I'm going to tell you something, you're wrong. If you think that you can just do that and not have your faith grow at all, you are just wrong. That's not what's going to happen. If you do not feed your faith, it will become hollow and weak, and eventually it will shrivel up and die. Again, as I said, and now I've been guilty of this, it's like signing up for a gym membership and never using it. In fact, I'm pretty sure I had a gym membership for three years at one point, and I went twice. But I kept paying for it because I thought, oh, I'm going to go back, I'm going to go back, and I never, ever did. You have to use it. It's amazing to me how many people, and as a pastor, I've talked to so many people all the time, that will come into my office or I'll have a conversation with them, and they will just be, come in and say, I'm, I, you know, I, I'm having this difficult time in my life. I'm having this really, this struggle. Now, having struggles doesn't mean that you have a, a weak faith. We all will have struggles right? That's just part of life. We will have struggles. Being faced with with temptations and struggles, that doesn't mean that you have a weak faith. But they'll come into me and say, I just don't feel like my faith is strong enough to sustain me through this. Or I feel like I just can't get through this because my faith isn't strong enough. And when you dig down deep and dig down deep and ask and question and probe, what you really find out is here's this person that for years has neglected their faith, They've neglected to have their faith grow. They've neglected to feed their faith. And then they wonder why when the storms of life come and the difficulties of life come, that it feels like their their faith is going to buckle at the knees. You see the, the disconnect there. To look at this and say, I've not fed my faith for years. And then when it comes where I need my faith to be that anchor, it's just not there. It just doesn't sustain me. That's why we have to feed it continually. Or I'm amazed at how many parents, I'm going to talk to parents for just a second here, 
How many parents will say, oh man, I, I got to get my child baptized. I want to make sure they make that commitment to Christ. And then once they sort of check that off their list, they don't make every effort to ensure that their child's faith will grow. They don't look at this and say, I'm going to make sure that I'm going to feed my child's faith just as much as I feed their soccer, <laughs> just as much as I feed the band, just as much as I feed this activity and this activity. And then they wonder why their children walk away from the faith at some point. You see, we have to feed the faith. The, when, we, when we step out of the baptistry, that's the beginning of our, of our spiritual journey. We have to feed it in order for it to grow. So we look at that. How does our faith grow? The first clue is just simple. We have to feed our faith. Here's a second clue that it gives us about what it means to grow in our faith, and it's this. It is, it's a question of why would you need your faith to grow? Now, there's an obvious reason that I just said, so that it will be strong, but there's more to it than just that. Here's the second clue. Why should you, why should you grow to remain productive, to remain productive in the church? Look at verses 8 and 9. He says this, For if these qualities are yours and are increasing, they keep you from being ineffective and unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. For whoever lacks these qualities is so nearsighted that he is blind, having forgotten that he was cleansed from his former sins. Ooh, man, that's some strong language there, isn't it? Look at verse 8 again. He says, if you lack these qualities, right, if these qualities are yours and are increasing, they keep you from being ineffectual and unfruitful. Wow. Here's this idea that we see here again. He says, we need to have these so that we will increase. Again, increasing. This, the Christian life is not a static existence. It is not something that you do and you just stay at that level. It's really simple. You are either growing in your faith or you're declining in your faith. There's no staying the same. It's not something, it's not a quality that you possess as a static entity for your whole life. It's either it's either increasing or decreasing. Those are the only two things. And as we go along, we should be growing and maturing. Now, notice that Peter does not say, right? This is important. He does not say that you will become perfect in your faith. He just says we need to keep taking steps toward maturity. Now, the big question is this, is how do you know if your faith is growing, right? How do you know that? Well, that's a good question. There are certain things that you do in order to help your faith grow. We've talked about that. And there are, there are other things about this, like a Bible study, personal Bible study. And you're doing one of those things right this instant. You're here in church, right? You're fellowshipping. You're part of a connected body of believers. You pray, and you serve, and you do all of those things. But here's the thing you have to remember, is that those things, prayer, Bible study, giving, all of those things, those are not the measure of spiritual growth. That's important to know. That you do not measure your spiritual growth by what you feed it. Now, if you don't feed it, it's pretty sure that it will die and shrivel up. But just doing those things is not the measure of whether or not your spiritual life is growing or not. Those things are a means to an end, not the end themselves. And I think a lot of times we teach that unintentionally in the church. We say, look, if you want to you grow your faith, do X, Y, and Z. That's true. But what we look at and say, just because you do X, Y, and Z, and here's what I mean, just because you read your Bible, or just because you come to church, or just because you give, or just because you serve, that does not mean that your faith is automatically growing. 
that you have to actually internalize those things. It's, it's interesting, um, an old, old preacher in the Restoration Movement, Wayne Smith, used to preach in Lexington, Kentucky. He had this great saying. He would say this, he says, being in church does not mean you're a growing Christian. No more than being in a garage means you're a car, right? And that's true, isn't it? Just because you do those things doesn't mean that you are. But like the fruit of the Spirit, here's the thing. Here's what I think the New Testament tells us how to measure whether or not your faith is growing, is you measure it by the Christ-like influence of your relationships. You go back and think about what the fruit of the Spirit is from Galatians chapter 5, love, joy, peace, patience, goodness, kindness, gentleness, faithfulness, self-control, all those things. Those are all relationship words. So how do you know if your faith is growing? Not by reading your Bible, because honestly, some of the people that are the least Christian-like know their Bible the most, right? Just by, just by coming to church, that doesn't mean that you're automatically growing in your faith. Just because you give, that doesn't mean you're automatically growing in your faith. Those things feed it, but you measure, your, you measure their faith by how much your relationships reflect Christ. That's how you measure it. And you look at that, which I always say, the best way to know if your faith is growing is ask the people that are closest to you, right? Because a lot of times you don't notice it. I always say, ask your spouse, like, do, do, does this look like Christ in, our, in my relationship and how I do this? Ask the people you work with. Ask your neighbors, right? Ask the people that are in the cars next to you as you commute. Really, you can't do that, but you get the idea, right? How am, I, am I Christ-like in my driving? <laughs> uh, we need to think about that. That's how we look at all of these things. Ask your family. That's the measure of it. So he says we need to be increasing. Then secondly, he says, if we are not increasing, we will be ineffectual or ineffective and unfruitful. Because here, here's the rub of all of this. Here's the, here's the difficult part, is that here's the danger of not growing. Of not, when you are not growing, it's not that you just become useless for the church, but you can also be a hindrance to the church. Now, that's hard to hear, isn't it? That's really hard to hear. When you look at this, you say, if my faith is not growing, if I'm not doing those things and continuing to grow, number one, your faith will become useless to you in the sense of it won't be that anchor in your life. But when we look at collective, I love the theme of your church here. It's about we church, not me church. And this is where you need to think about how you fit into the church body. Is that if your faith is not growing, there's a danger that your faith will become ineffective and unfruitful. And think about what that means for the church when your, your faith is not growing, when it is ineffective and unfruitful. To be very blunt for a minute, right? Let me just, just lay some hard truth out here. There are always a lot of people in the church who honestly have become just that. They've become people who are not helping. They are actually hurting the ministry of the church because they are spiritual babies when they should be spiritually mature. Now, we think about that. When someone is a spiritual baby, let's think about chronology here, right? No one looks at it, let's think about physical babies. No one looks at a physical baby and says, you know, shame on you for crying, right? We look at that, and we look at, shame on you for not being able to feed yourself, right? We look at that, we realize that babies are just that. Babies actually are the most self-centered people in the world. Do you ever think about that? A baby only cares about itself. Now, as we grow, what do we expect babies to do? Not be self-centered anymore, right? Eventually to learn that, 
you know, you've got siblings and you've got to share, right? And you need to learn how to incorporate yourself into the family and all those things. But now take that same principle and apply it to your spiritual life. Is that spiritual babies tend to be honestly a little self-centered. That they look at it and they go, it's, it's about me and my faith. But part of growing up and being a mature Christian is understanding that it's not about me. It is about the church, right? And so there are people who will gladly just take from the church rather than give to the church. There are people who should be contributing, but what they're doing is they're just consuming. I mean, babies are the ultimate consumers, aren't they? They are. They just take and take and take, but they don't really give a lot back. And as we grow, we understand, yeah, I need to change that. So there are people who will gladly be coming to a church and let other people do the serving, let other people do the giving, let other people do the work, and they just want to take and not give. Part of growing up in your faith is becoming a contributor, not just a consumer of the church. And if you've been a Christian for any length of time, you should be moving in that direction to saying, how am I contributing to the church, not just consuming what the church offers? That's a pretty hard message to hear, but it's something we need. And then he follows it up with this. He says that if that's the case, you are blind. And in fact, he uses the term, you're nearsighted. Now, I don't know what your vision is like. Let's think about this from physical vision. If you take your glasses off or your contacts out, my vision is not horrible. I can still see that you've got frowns on your faces right now. Um, just kidding. But, you know, you look at that, and he, he compares it to our physical vision. He says that those who lack these qualities are nearsighted. In other words, they don't see the big picture. They only see what is right in front of them. It's a way of saying that you're self-centered, that you're spiritually self-centered. And he says, when you do this, you understand that your vision incorporates the whole of the church, and that it's not just about you. Rather than being focused only on your own needs, you look and see what you have to offer for the church as a whole. So what's he getting at here? Simply put, it's this, is that intentional spiritual growth moves you from being just a consumer to being a contributor of the church. And honestly, the church is most effective when every person is moving toward that. When you're a spiritual baby, you're only focused on yourself. Now, that's fine if you are literally a spiritual infant, but you should never want to stay that way. You should want to grow in your faith so that you contribute to that. As Peter says, don't be ineffective and fruitful forever. Now, there's one more question that we have here. He says, why should we grow? It's another question. It's this. It is to stay on a firm footing. Look in verses 10 and 11. He says, therefore, brothers, be all the more diligent to confirm your calling and election, for if you practice these qualities, you will never fail. You will never fall. Excuse me. I need to check my glasses. All right. You will never fall. For in, this way, there, for in this way, there will be richly provided for you an entrance into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Christ Jesus. So the quest, second question is this, is why should you grow to stay on firm footing? Now, let's look at the text again real carefully. He says, be all the more diligent. This is the third time that Peter has said that you need to get busy with the business of spiritual growth. You kind of get the hint that he thinks it's important here? He's told us that three times, that you don't want to be ineffective and unfruitful. So get to the work of growing spiritually. Now, we're going to jump into the deep end of the theology pool for just a second here. He says here, he uses these words, calling and election. He says, 
Be all the more diligent to confirm your calling and election. So a little bit about these words here is that this is an area of theology you may have been taught about, you may not have been taught about, but we're going to just step into the classroom for just a second here. But basically when we hear these ideas of calling and election, over the the course of, of Christian history, scholars and teachers and preachers and people who have studied the Bible look at these in a couple of different ways. On the one hand, people see that the Bible talks and uses these words like predestined and called and election to salvation. Verses like Ephesians 1, 5 and Romans 8, 28 to 30. Now, on the other hand, so we see that it emphasizes that God calls people to himself. On the other hand, we see verses in Scripture like these in Hebrews chapter 3, verses 12 to 14, that talk about the idea that God calls us, but that we have to respond to God's call in this. Uh, over the course of human history, the, or human history, church history, we've talked about those ideas in terms like Calvinism versus Arminianism, and those terms may not mean anything to you, and honestly, God bless you if you don't know what those words mean. So that, that's okay. But it emphasizes this, right? It emphasizes God's, God's role in our salvation versus our role in salvation. Now, God saves us. We can never do anything to earn our salvation. We're not saying that at all. But what we are saying here is I think these views or these, these verses emphasize the fact that God provides everything we need for salvation and that we respond to that, that we take it. It doesn't mean we earn it. doesn't mean we deserve it. doesn't mean we've done anything to, for God to say, Ben, you're awesome. Let me give this to you. But he does say this, that we need to grab hold of what God has provided for us. And he says, if you practice these qualities, you will never fall. Now, again, these, these verses talk about the idea of how can you have assurance of your salvation? How can you be assured that your faith is real? Because you're doing the things that feed your faith. You're doing those things that make your faith strong. And I think that's a good way to understand these, that God certainly calls people to salvation, and we choose if we want to respond or not. And Peter makes it clear that each person has a responsibility not just to take that initial step, but then to keep walking in that relationship with Christ. Now, what are we supposed to take away from all this? Right? Let's get down to the end here. This is some pretty heavy theology, but here's what it really boils down to. That if you become a Christian and never do anything to grow your faith, here's what you can expect. You can expect that at some point in your life, you will feel like you're, that God has left you. You will feel like that God has abandoned you because your faith will feel weak because you've not done the things to continue to grow it. At some point, you will become ineffective, you will be unfruitful, and you'll just be a consumer rather than a contributor to what God is doing here. But you also need to know this, that if you never feed your faith, there is a real, a very real danger that at some point you will walk away from the faith. That you will say, my faith has become so weak that I don't even need it anymore. It doesn't mean anything to me. That's what he says here. You want to confirm your election and calling? Do the things that grow your faith. Now, we're going to finish up. I want you to look at verse 11 again. He says, for in this way, you will be richly provided, for there will be richly provided for you. Notice you're not doing it yourself. It's provided for you an entrance into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Christ Jesus. This is what we need to remember, that life leads, that this life needs, let me say that again, 
this life leads to another life. The end of life is not when you go to the grave. The end of life leads to another one. Now, earlier we said this idea. Look back in verse 5. In verse 5, he uses this idea to make every effort to supplement your faith. And then he says down here that it will be richly provided for you. Now, in your Bible, you can't do this on your phone or your, your, your tablet, but in your Bible, draw a circle around the word where he says richly provided down here and to supplement your faith up in verse 5. In the original language, that's the same word. It's the same word in Greek. Richly provided in verse 5 and to, to be supplied are the same. They're the same words in the original language. And you see the connection here. Here's the point. If you supply your faith with what it needs to grow, God will supply to you what you need for this life and for next life. You see how that works? That God gives us what we need. Again, it's like the person who says, right, I'm going I'm to get in shape, right? And God says, I'm going to give you everything you need in order for that to happen. But you just got to make that effort. You got to take that step. You've got to act on that desire to do that. And God has done that for you. God has given you in your faith what you need for it to grow. He's given you his word. He's given you a community of believers to be with, to encourage one another, to help and to grow. He's given you everything you need for your faith to grow. But you, as Peter says, have to make every effort for that to happen. And I want to encourage you to figure out what that means. Whether that means you need to to get into a group where you can continue to grow your faith. If you've not been a person who said, you know what, I'm going to study the Bible. I'm going to study it on my own. Not because of a sermon, not because of anything else. I want to learn what that is. If you're not serving, if you're not giving, if you're not contributing to the church, do those things and be part of the body of Christ and be contributing to it so that your faith will grow. And I'm confident that if you need to know what those next steps are, talk to some of the staff here, talk to, to your elders, your leaders here, and they will help you understand what you need to do to help your faith grow.